Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I just want to welcome everyone today. If you're new, we're so glad that you found us and um, everyone else. Welcome back. So today I am so excited to share our guest with you, a good friend of mine. And I just have to tell you, first of all, if you have kids in middle school right now, or even younger, or even a little bit older, you, you, it's just so hard to imagine that their gaming problem can turn into a big problem in college. But what I learned was that little gamers grow up to be big gamers. And even just last week, you know, I get phone calls all the time and I get emails and just all sorts of messages from people that are struggling with this. And last week I was on the phone with a family who is dealing with their 24-year-old son. Very familiar story. He started and stopped his college experience three times now. This is his third time home. And our guest today is going to address what the heck is going on and how video games and other addictions as well, not just video games, but how these addictions are completely derailing their kids, even at these little bit older ages. So Tracy Markle has her master's and is a licensed professional counselor and is the owner and clinical director of therapeutic services in Colorado. And what she does, she specializes in the recovery from addictions, from alcohol addictions, video game addictions, internet addictions, as well as recovery from mental health issues like depression and anxiety. But what what she does that is so fabulous that I think she is such a big hero for is that she helps people that are struggling and kids that are struggling with this. She helps them through the next transition, which includes their academic world and their hopefully their em- employment success, right? So she realized that one or two hours per week of psychotherapy was not enough to help everybody get to where they needed to be. So she developed a community-based program called Collegiate Coaching Services, and they provide guidance and support in this whole area of academics and relationships. And okay, I love this, guys, everybody, they, to help improve motivation and accountability because I know what it's like to have that early 20-something on your sofa and how hard it is to make this transition from addiction to real successful life. And it's this motivation and the accountability. So we've gotten to know each other through the years and what fun we have had being so like-minded together. Tracy and I are just vibing on this whole issue of what these screens are doing to these kids. And I'm thrilled to call her my friend. So welcome, Tracy. Oh, thank you so much, Melanie, for inviting me to be a part of uh, your show and to represent Screen Strong and all the wonderful work you're doing out there. I couldn't be more excited. Well, thank you. And I mean, I don't know if I did justice at all to your introduction because I do think that you are a hero. You are that person that I see that, that gets the next step you know, to this, because I think there's so many therapists that are treating kids on like a daily or monthly or yearly basis. But I don't think that they understand what you understand about the transition. Because, you know, you can go to a therapy center. In fact, if you have an alcohol problem, you can go to treatment. But when you come home, and if your environment is still the same, 
you're going to be right back into your old habits. So I love that you are, are passionate around helping kids transition into these harder areas. But first, what made you passionate about your work and about this topic? This is one of the topics I like to talk about the most and I like to help families the most with um, and help people understand how to recognize it and how to treat it. Since I entered the mental health field a number of years ago, I have always had a passion to work in um, addiction treatment. That evolved over the years and around 2009, I started to see parents coming into my office complaining about their children's video gameplay. And I started to hear more extreme stories of aggression and violence and refusing to go to school. So I took it upon myself. And at the time, it was really difficult to find people who understood (laughs) this issue. And I happened across somebody you and I both know very well, Hillary Cash, who owns a program called Restart in Washington State. And she um, was gracious enough to spend some time with me on the phone and help me understand that what I was seeing was a real, potentially addiction issue. And at that time, um, with Collegiate Coaching Services, which was launched in 2008, I started incorporating assessment process into my work. And every client that came through the door, I asked these particular questions. How much time do you spend in front of the screen? I asked the parents, do you have concerns about the time they're spending in front of the screen? Do you see academic implications or mental health? So I was really excited that this was an area that hadn't been forged yet. I mean, we're pioneers still in in this field and I took it upon myself and I, I always like to take on challenges. That's just my type of personality. And and I'm still here years later and still love the work and passionate and Melanie, I mean, even when you and I met in 2015, there was this is the tip of the iceberg back then. And now you have this wonderful podcast and, and we're all doing this amazing work. So there's a lot more I could say, but I'm going to stop there. No, I love hearing about how people got started. And you basically were on the front line. You You were boots in the ground. You know, I was boots on the ground, a little bit different capacity, but you were just seeing patients every day come in and how great that you figured out to take a little assessment on this because back during that time, like you said, this whole idea of a screen addiction, what you kind of got laughed at, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, come on, you can't really be addicted to this. And then of course, Hillary Cash, what a wonderful person to connect mm-hmm. with. And I just love Hillary. We're going to have her on here soon too. Nice. She was really a pioneer. She was like, oh my yes. gosh, we have to have a place for people to go. But tell us about just some of those early experiences with patients that would come in and like the light bulb moments for you when you were figuring out, wait a minute, they're gaming might have something to do with this. And was it really gaming back then or other screen addictions? You know, the issues that were the most problematic were related to video gaming back then. This was, you know, when you think of 2009, our first smartphone device didn't come out until 2007. So social media had yet to cause all the problems that we see today. It was just starting. But video gaming had been around for years and years and years and had progressed to the point where they were much more immersive, the graphics were improving, the level of play that was required to uh, win or accomplish the tasks the game required took a long time. And so we were starting to see teenagers, and that, that was the first group I started to hear about 
from their parents, very adept group of parents coming in and saying, I don't know what this is. I don't know what to do with it. It was causing a lot of distress. And I also was seeing something that I am seeing now still to this day that our high-risk population um, with video gaming can often fall under um, our neurodiverse population, which, you know, these kids have ADHD, they're on the autism spectrum, they may have specific learning differences, or on the mental health side, high anxiety, social anxiety. So I took it upon myself at the time to understand that better too. What's this correlation here? And um, lo and behold, as the years have gone on, there's been plenty of research to show that people who struggle with social connection and also that novelty-seeking brain, which tends to fall under our ADHD category, they seek stimulation and there's nothing like video games to produce that. They're highly rewarding and it really keeps that kind of kid immersed and they have a really hard time stopping play because of the level of stimulation. Right. And you're bringing up such a great point that, you know, we're not playing Pac-Man anymore. Mm-hmm. So this is what I say in my classes too. This is not Pac-Man. So mom and dad, you've, you've got to kind of erase some of your blind spots. I had huge blind spots in this area because I thought when my son was gaming that he was playing Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and how could that hurt you, right? And I just had no clue, but you nailed it. You just that the level of play was longer. It was more immersive. It was more toxic. And as a parent who never grew up playing that, you know, we were the first generation here to mm-hmm. deal with this with our kids. There's no way that you can even understand it until you're in the throes of it, playing it. And the main thing I think for people that are listening to really understand is there's no natural stopping point. That's a big hook. So years ago with games, you would have Mario Kart or something and it would just kind of end like you would do your thing and it would end or Pac-Man, you'd eat all the things, (laughs) you know, it was over. And so just in case people, parents are listening and they're thinking, well, what's the big deal? That's the big deal. Right around the time when you started seeing this in your practice, this is right around the time when all those games started to change. So I think that's really good to bring that out. Plus, it definitely does hit this high risk population. What are some other risk factors just off the cuff in your opinion for this? If your child doesn't have a tendency toward ADHD or autism, I know everybody I talk to, I hate to start statements by saying everybody, but I I think it's almost everybody (laughs) that says, well, he has an addictive personality. And I'm like, you know what? Doesn't everybody have an addictive personality? Talk about that. Talk about that and about the risk factors that you see. Well, I think if, you know, when we think of an addictive personality, I know I think of somebody who has a drive to seek novelty and stimulation. And if they're not naturally able to uh, gain that in their lives through you know, social interaction, you know, kids with ADHD just by nature have lower dopamine levels, which is a an important neurotransmitter in our brain that has a lot to do with motivation. And so when they're involved in the mundane, like schoolwork that they don't have a lot of interest in, they have a really hard time focusing and concentrating. And lo and behold, video games are so much more exciting and stimulating to them. And so these kiddos are our high risk group for sure. And they fall into that trap pretty frequently, especially with online school right now. It's really hard for them to manage the screen 
because of that, one of the areas that we'll often see, and I always talk to families about, is the parents' digital media use. What are your habits? What are your patterns? Are you carving out several periods of time during the week where there's no screens involved at all? And I I think, you know, parents, I often want to um, encourage parents to be mentors rather than monitors of screen use. So to mentor and role model that your kids are going to emulate you. So if you're on your smartphone and you're not open for engagement, they're going to get on their device. It's just an, it's just natural for them. And I've had a number of, of my younger age group, middle school and young high school kids who are still willing to say these things. My mom and dad are both on their devices, so I just get on mine. That just seems to be what we do. So parents have a lot to do with this as well. And it's not everything, but that is one important area. And then as far as other risk factors, are, there, are do you see, and I'm just making this up, but like what's the chicken and the egg thing? They're not interested in sports, so now they're on their video games mm-hmm. or they're on their video games, mm-hmm. so now they're not interested in sports. Yeah, so we we like to work from a point of view. It's called the self-determination theory of motivation. And it's just a wonderful um, model for us to follow when it comes to online behaviors. And so there's three really important psychological needs that we all have as humans. It's to feel a sense of competence, feel a sense of relatedness. So we, we have people who value us for who we are and they accept us into their peer group. And then we have a sense of autonomy. We can make responsible choices. We can make decisions without our parents always looking over us. And we have good outcomes. If those three needs are not being met in real life or any aspects of them, we find that kids can get these needs met online and very easily. And so the developer of the self-determination theory of motivation, his last name is Decky, D-E-C-C-I. He actually has written a chapter about video game play and how kids get these three innate needs met. And so I'm a true believer that once we identify that and we help them begin to get these needs met in real life, we can move them away from the game. And that's a really critical factor. And so wherever those come into play, Melanie, it's really important. So if they have social anxiety, they may have a really hard time with relatedness with their real life peers that are outside of the screen. So they're going to go to the screen to connect more because they feel comfortable. If they're not feeling a sense of competence at school, academically they're challenged or they're not the kid on the lacrosse team who got picked for the team and they sat on the bench, they're not getting that need met. So we have to help them find ways to get the needs met. And so I, oh, that's my starting point. With every young person that comes in my room, I assess those three areas and try to understand where the deficits are. We had Dr. Doug Gentile on our show mm-hmm. recently, and he touched on this as well. So I'm so excited that you brought it back up because this also great minds think of like here, but this, <laughs> I'll just have to say this also, these are the three core pieces to our challenge too when we um, we have the screen strong challenge where it's the detox for a week and what we're trying to get trying to get parents to see is like for the competence thing that you've got to introduce other hobbies and activities in your kid's life that they can feel good about because if they only feel good about their game then that's all they're going to do so 
for a week, even though it really requires, you know, more than that, but just to get started and looking at other things they can do. Um, the second thing is the sense of belonging that's so important. And we really promote um, motivating the parents to be that connection initially. That attachment has been broken. So for that week, you're going to spend a lot of time with your kids and get to know them and have conversations and spend time with them. And then the third thing is the autonomy piece. And that really is the life skill piece that we bring in. So it's so exciting to hear you say this again, because it just reiterates that core foundation of things that are needed. And if you can't find those things in real life, and it's not their fault, I mean, you know, and it's not the parents' fault really either, but the parents are the ones that can do the most about it. The kids can't dig their way out of this. It happens very gradually. So a lot of parents will reflect back and say, I had no idea we we're at this problem point. How did this happen? And slowly but surely, we'll see that the kids drop off, um, you know, their extracurriculars or their academic motivation. It just slowly drops off. It's usually not a cliff that they fall off of. So that's what makes it so hard for parents to know when to intervene. And, And most of the parents I work with will say, I regret that I didn't do anything sooner. And, and I'll say, you didn't know to do something sooner. Besides, back, you know, five years ago, there really wasn't a lot of this information out there that's out there now. And that's what's so amazing about the work you're doing, Melanie, with Screen Strong, is you're bringing this resource to families who are just craving this information and direction right now. Right. And we're trying to break it down into bite-sized pieces for them because you and I have spent years Mm -hmm. researching this and going to conferences and reading, you know, like crazy, all the stuff that's out there. And there's no way the average parent can do that's a full time Mm -hmm. job. So this is why I love having um, guests like you on here. And and for us just to break this down, what do you say to a parent of a middle school child? Tracy, if you were at a conference, and it was 500 middle school parents, and you were on the stage, (laughs) What would you say, knowing what you know about where this might head? And let's just say they're all kind of got a gut feeling about this video game thing in their house, you know, and their kids are starting to drop out of things. And as you and I know, you know, they're starting to lose friends and they're not, they're not developing socially the way they need to. But what, Mm -hmm. what would you say to them would be some of the protective factors maybe, or some of the signs to look at? Well, knowing middle, the middle school age group is, is one of our more high-risk groups, and that's the number of uh, clients that I see right now in the middle school age group is, is higher than any other age group if I was to break it down. I think many of us can reflect back to middle school and remember how, how hard it was. It was difficult. We're meeting new kids for the first time um, after maybe a, a lot of years of being with this, a similar group of students. It's also developmentally a challenging time where we're trying to understand who we are and, and feel accepted by our peers. And we f- it, there's a really strong need at that age to get accepted. And if for some reason you don't feel that way, uh, immersing into the screen to avoid and distract and connect with people online is a great escape hatch. But it's even a norm in middle school, especially for our boys, to say, hey, let's get on Fortnite tonight and play this, these games together. And they get really upset when their parents won't allow them to do that. So parents feel guilty and they'll say, okay, go, go for it. 
So what I often will tell parents is when you're heading into middle school, know this is going to be a very difficult time emotionally, developmentally for your child. So set limits. Make sure you understand based on your child's protective and risk and risk factors. And we actually have compiled a list on both sides of risk factors and protective factors. Make sure that you set screen limits based on that because no child's equal. You know, you may have one where they can have two hours of game time and be fine. You may have another where there's no game time during the week because it's so distracting and they can only spend time on the weekend doing that. If you start out with that in advance, then it's going to go smoother for all of you. As we know, it's harder to come in later and intervene and change that behavior. So that's Melanie, one of the first places I would start if we were in a more proactive place. Right. And the the kick is that even with a few hours a week for some kids, that's all they need to trigger this pathway. That's right. And the the danger zone of like if I was in a room of five hundred middle school parents, I would say there is a certain percentage in there of kids that even on just a couple hours a week, it's gonna whet their appetite to the point where they may not even tell you, but they're going to become all of a sudden disinterested in other things like spending time with you, um, building other non-tech hobbies, doing their chores, you know, doing a certain sport. Like it, it's not so much always about the game is bad or that even the small amount of time is bad. It's about what it's replacing in their brain, you know, who they are in their identity. And if they start to identify as a gamer, like that's my identity now, I'm a gamer, (laughs) you know, then they're not going to want to be a reader (laughs) or, you know, a baseball player or student. I don't know. That age is such a slippery slope in my book from what I see. And that's why we are always really encouraging. We're very supportive of all parents that come to us. Absolutely. Um, not judgmental at all, but we also were very supportive of parents that want to just put the pause button, hit that pause button yep. and mm-hmm. say, you know what, we're not going to do games right now. We're going to get through middle school. <laughs> we're going to get to 11th grade or before we allow them. And then the thing is, is that once you, you go, for a few years and these volatile years without it, then they start getting their needs met in other areas. And then you realize, hey, that's just a big waste of time. You know, you could be playing the piano, you could be playing your guitar, your violin, whatever. So what are your thoughts about that, about just saying no or just delaying it? Well, I have a lot of thoughts. Because I'm often seeing families come in who are in a, a large, have a large level of distress. I've seen through a number of families through a detox period. And it is incredible what we see after about a month, two months of no video gaming and very limited screen time in general. Uh, Parents will report the eye contact's great. They're actually asking me questions, asking me how I'm doing. (laughs) They're inclined to say, dad, can I give you a hand? My empathy goes up. Yeah. Empathy goes up. But you know, it's what I notice the most, Melanie, is they're aware of their surroundings. So when they're immersed into the games, they just lose track of what goes on around them because their brain has been trained to focus on 
the game and what is happening on the screen, not whether mom or dad needs help putting the grill together outside. It's more, how do I get back to the game? Because the sense of urgency to get back to the game is so strong. And the developers build that in for a reason. They want you to let your middle school age kids play because they're going to get hooked and they're going to be great consumers of their product for years to come. So these kiddos are a very vulnerable group when it comes to the way these games are developed because they're meant to keep them online. Love what you said about when you are gaming, when you are online, it's replacing something else you could be doing. And it's not that the screen's the problem. It's what um, they stop doing that is the problem. What they're missing. Exactly. So developmentally, this age group, mental school, is, is a big time to develop healthy mental health, physical health, social health, academic health. I mean, this is where a lot of skills are learned for better or worse. And and gaming only takes away that time for that positive side of skill development. Keeping those anchors in place. So if you do let your child play uh, 30 minutes of Fortnite each day, let's say, they get to play one game that lasts for about 20 minutes, and you let your child do that, We want to also make sure they have have extracurriculars, that they get outside and engage in movement every day. And an hour of movement every day is really, really important for our kiddos. And that they're, they're having dinner with you without screens involved. So there's anchors there that can really balance out that screen time. And want you want to keep that age appropriate. So for the middle school age group, really no more than... 30 minutes to an hour a day of time on the screen for entertainment-based applications is what's recommended and ideal. And I know many of the parents um, out there are probably thinking that's crazy. I can't imagine that ever happening. But to your point, Melanie, you're preparing them for the future. So when I work with families, I'll say, listen, do you want your child to go to college? And most will say yes. Now's the time to start preparing them and and teach them healthy habits because the screen isn't going to change. And boy, college is the hardest time. And that's when we see the most problems show up in their life. I, again, from my boots on the ground where I am, and we we get a lot of the parents, of course, that are saying, we only allow an hour a day and all these things are happening and this isn't happening and he's not doing this and he's talking back and he's sassy and I can't, you know, and there was all this conflict because you and I both know that an hour is just not enough. You know, 30 minutes isn't enough. Then what ends up happening is this conflict in the home and then you end up having these arguments and then you've got other siblings or other kids and then will you let him play 10 minutes more now I need to play 10 minutes more and things like well I'm going to borrow my time from yesterday mom because I was only on it 40 minutes so I have 20 more minutes that I've you know it becomes all of these negotiations and whatnot and and if that is happening in your house that's a really clear sign that your your kid really doesn't have a take it or leave it attitude which is what I recommend that if he doesn't have a take it or leave it attitude, like if he's in the middle of playing something and somebody rings the doorbell and they want him to go play outside and he doesn't just jump out and go outside, that's a sign that, I mean, honestly, he should not choose his game over an in-person opportunity. And that's where you're talking about this age is so important because it's almost like a fork in the road where they're going to decide which fork they take. And if they take the gaming path there, I'm not saying there aren't kids that can game that can 
be balanced and do fine with it, but it's going to be a lot harder and parents are going to have to work a whole lot harder to make sure these other things like piano lessons, you know, or guitar lessons are staying on the docket because middle school is also the time, at least from the research I've done, where kids are just wanting to quit things because they're craving this low effort, high reward activity, and they just want to quit hard things. When I look back at all the years that we've had kids in school, we have four children. So I have quite a I've had four middle schoolers. <laughs> the the moms in seventh or eighth grade, that is when we start getting the calls. Hey, you know, what what do you think? You know, so and so he's been playing piano for three years. Don't you think that's enough? You know, he wants to quit now because all his friends are quitting and he wants to quit his sport because, you know, he's not good anymore because he used to be the best kid on the team. And then something happens in middle school where the playing field kind of levels out and you're not the best anymore and you have to work harder. And, and that and you, you're working harder on everything else too, right? You're trying to get through your awkward, you know, meeting other people stage and all the other things that are going on. So I just see it as a real detriment. And if it's not helping your situation, then you need to deposit. That's, that's my, my recommendation. Do you see any risk for kids not playing Fortnite, for example? Is there a risk? No, there's only reward, if you ask me. In the moment, your child will convince you that there is so much risk to not allow them to play. They'll no longer have friends. Right. Nobody wants to do anything. I hear that all the time. And I'll talk with the parents and say, your child may truly believe that. However, it's not true. There's yeah. a lot going on out there in the world. Even during COVID, there's opportunities to get out and do things. So I get a kick out of it because it's a common um, line yeah. that I'll hear. Absolutely. And so, you know, there a lot of people will say, well, geez, Tracy, isn't there a benefit to playing video games? Doesn't it help you in some way cognitively? And I'll say, yeah, I mean, there's limited research that shows if you play um, a, a strategy-based game for less than 45 minutes at a time, and this is, you know, over a long period of time, there may be some problem-solving skills that improve in the area of mathematics. And But then what I say is the problem is those games aren't meant to be only played for 45 minutes. And so your child will have an extremely hard time shifting off of them at that point because they really need to be on for two hours if they're going to achieve status. So, uh, and that being said, your child will develop those math skills without video games just fine if they stay on track with academics. Right. So this is always such a kick for me too, when I hear that, okay, so is there some strategy? Is there some benefit? Yeah, maybe kind of if all of these other things are in place, but can't you develop those strategy skills easier offline? Yeah, you can in real life. You can, you know, even the hand-eye coordination people talk uh-huh. about, I'm like, okay, give your kid a baseball bat and he'll develop some hand-eye coordination. Uh-huh. <laughs> Plus he'll be outside and he'll be getting some vitamin D and he'll have his friends with him and there's all right. these other benefits. That's so right. it's sort of like a weird overkill thing to think that this is, oh, oh, there's something good over here, whatever. So let's let him do that. I think it's always better in real life. So let's talk about real life executive functioning Mm -hmm. skills that they need. I love talking about this. And I just want to, before we run out of time, I want you to touch base on that. 
and how that does relate to screens or not, you know, developing their executive function. Sure. Great question. It's a really important area. And so I'm glad that you're um, wanting to highlight it. So when you're, when you're talking about the middle school and the high school developing brain, um, the prefrontal cortex, the front of our, right behind our forehead is where our all important executive function abilities reside. And that is problem solving, emotional regulation, impulse control, organizational abilities, planning and preparing, prioritization. There's a number of them that are really critical that will help us succeed in life. And what we know through experience and through uh, research that is occurring out there, when kids immerse in a video game play, let's say, or social media or information overload, like watching videos, the blood flow actually changes in the brain and bypasses the frontal cortex. Kids have a really hard time controlling their use. They're not able to access their limited executive function abilities. And the more they immerse, let's say they're daily gamers for multiple hours, the less we see that part of the brain developing. It's really similar to drug and alcohol abuse, where we'll see them at a developmentally younger age um, than their chronological age if they've had excessive um, game time or drug or alcohol use over the years. And once they stop that play, we'll see that speed up and they'll, they'll eventually catch up to their chronological age. So there's some major implications there. And so this is also why we need to either not allow or really limit play or online use of any applications while the brain is still developing. So the prefrontal cortex can develop. And as we know, that part of the brain is the last part to develop in mid-20s, you know, upper 20s. We don't really know. It depends on the child. ADHD, kids with autism spectrum are about three to five years behind their neurotypical peers in development. So we want to keep a special eye on them when it comes to screen use so they can develop those skills so they can be successful in the college or vocational environment. Those are some really important areas, Melanie. I think it's really interesting how you just threw drugs and alcohol right in there with Mm -hmm. that um, Mm -hmm. gaming. And it triggers that path right? The same pathway that these other things, these other addictions are living on, I guess, how you would describe it. So if kids are addicted to gaming or dependent, let's say, on gaming, then are they at a higher risk for other dependencies? Yeah, so uh, absolutely. So what we see is uh, like any addiction cycle, you will develop a tolerance to it. So the more you game, the more you'll develop a tolerance, the more you seek stimulation. Eventually, what we'll see is drugs and alcohol start being paired with gaming time. And that adds another layer of seeking stimulation and reward. And it's more common now than ever, especially with pot being legalized in multiple states, that we'll see that run alongside more than, in my experience, any other drug with gaming in particular. And then you have a double whammy you have to treat. Because before you can truly work with the underlying issues that promote those behaviors, you have to alleviate those compulsive or addictive behaviors first. And that's, that's hard work on everybody's end. 
But it's kind of, it's just kind of like the highway around your city. If you're used to taking that highway, boy, it's, it gets paved, it gets used, it get that's just your path mm-hmm. of least resistance. That's what you do. So with gaming, you know, you're getting this dopamine, this unnatural amounts of dopamine and over time, you're going to need more. So that's right. what do you do? You find something else to throw on the pathway. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny. It's just really fascinating to me. I, I see a lot of gamers that are sort of getting hooked on porn too. And that's, that's, that's another addiction that falls that, that pathway. I think years ago, I didn't understand. I thought, well, every addiction was different. It's all different areas of your brain, but it's really not. It's your reward pathway. And then of course, what we know about neural pruning, if that's what you're using, the majority of your day is being spent in these rewarding activities, then these other areas of your brain are just sort of pruning away because we tend to lose what we don't use, you know, which brings us again, looping back here around to the middle school kids. And as they get into high school, what are some other protective factors that we can do? I know we've talked about a couple of them already, but you had a list that, that we had from uh, the book that we did, you know, with Mm, the, mm -hmm. will your gamer survive college? So there's some protective factors in there. Can you think of some more off the top of your head? Besides clear and consistent structure at home and also in the school environment, you know, now it's difficult because of a lot of online schools. So we're challenged there. Um, But having those anchors outside of the screen time where they're getting rough and tumble play, they're getting creative interactions, they're face to face with peers and others. That's all of that is more important than anything else we could be talking about here. Just keeping that in place and making sure that it doesn't fall by the wayside, it's extremely important. And so I just want to highlight that. I think, you know, when you look at personality traits, we look at five, there's really the big five um, we focus on a lot. And one of them is um, resourceful, being resourceful, being able to solve problems without somebody else telling you what to do. And we'll notice that when kids spend a lot of time online, when they move away from the screen, they have a really hard time solving problems. They often want to go back to the screen to find the answers. And so I'll often talk to parents about how can they learn to be resourceful away from the screen? Because imagine when they're on that large college campus someday, they're going to have to be resourceful to figure out where they need to go to get their needs met and to find lunch and to meet peers and to meet with the tutor. So that's an important skill. Another personality trait that we want to hone and develop that isn't always natural for young people is conscientiousness. They're aware of how their actions impact themselves and others. And so the more time we spend online, the less we're aware of that. And so we want to make sure they have opportunity away from screens to develop that conscientiousness muscle, to be really aware of how they impact others and they're in tune. And that, like you said earlier, uh, Melanie, developing empathy and understanding for others and being able to share perceptions and ask questions. And again, having the opportunity to be face-to-face, to communicate, to learn how to problem solve with their peers away from the screen. I think that is one of the biggest ones is this protective factor that you talk about, this face-to-face communication. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the the myth that the parents ask you about, aren't there are video games a way for them to be social? And this is what it's missing. It That's doesn't right. have the face-to-face mm-hmm. communication factor there. 
the limbic resonance that Hillary Cash talks about, yeah. you know, I've learned that from her in the mirror neurons and all. That's what you're not getting when you are. So to answer, you know, that question again, it's you're not. It's not the same. The social time online it doesn't measure up at all to what it could be and what it should be. And that's why it's a protective factor. It's not a protective factor to be social online. That's that doesn't really protect you from much. I think for adults, it's kind of convenient, uh-huh. but I think it's just a convenience. I don't think that it's a building block. And and so some of these other protective factors, just they kind of fall into just a couple categories. It's not that hard. It's the strong bond between parents and coaches and teachers yeah. and really to draw your kids back into their family. And the reason why you want to do that, of course, is not just to keep them on track, but so they will go to you. They need answers to life's big questions. You, you don't want them going to their peers for all that. You want them to be grounded just like a good coach. You want to be, as a parent, like a coach. And that's what our material is laced with all that analogy, because we believe that's really the best way to perceive your role in your kid's life is, you know, take your parenting hat off and because that's sort of an emotional situation (laughs) and put your coach's hat on and what would you do if your team was losing, right? Mm -hmm. So that becomes protective factor. And of course, then you mentioned the modeling healthy tech by parents and becoming their mentor. I love that you talk about that they should have a relationship with their teachers because Mm -hmm. I think in the years gone by, we did a much better job of that in our school systems. And mm-hmm. now because there's so many screens in schools, we've lost a certain touch with those teachers and the teachers really have such an influence in kids' lives. And we're missing some of that. It's a huge protective factor. Any a caring adult in your child's life is super good. And also, of course, just to build this executive functioning So, all right, well, we're going to just wrap up here shortly, but let's answer the question about, okay, we've made it through middle school, whether we made it through with flying colors or not, we're not sure. We're now in high school (laughs) and we have a junior or senior Mm -hmm. who would list gaming as part of their three most favorite things that they like to do, which I always say is a red flag. If your kid can't think of three other things they like better than gaming, then you're in trouble. But what do you say to the parent who does have an older high school boy, I guess, at this point, usually the gamers, we struggle more with boys with uh-huh. gaming, and they're headed to college, and um, maybe you're a little late to the rodeo here. <laughs> so what do you tell parents if they haven't? This is such a common thing. We get questions, and the kids are 16, 17 years old. And mm-hmm. what do you say at this point? Yeah, so it all depends on the level of uh, severity of, of their play. So if they're immersed and um, it's problematic and they're having academic problems, they're having a hard time connecting with peers outside of the house, or not, they're not willing to get that part-time job you really want them to get to develop those important life skills, that's when you need to jump in and take more critical action. One of the best things you could do is is prepare and go through a period of abstinence from gaming because I want to help your your son develop awareness and understanding about how gaming fits into his life and what it's doing to him. 
we always see awareness develop. I'm here to tell you. It's tough at first. It's painful. But the child always has awareness and says, wow, I didn't realize how much I played. I didn't realize that I stopped doing this behavior or that behavior. And at home um, is a lot more peaceful now that we're going through this period. So that's more on the, the severe end of the spectrum. I'll talk to families who are generally speaking, their child's doing okay in school. They're academically capable, meaning they're intelligent enough to get okay grades and get through it. They do just enough, but they spend a lot of time gaming. I will speak to those families and say college is going to be a big challenge. It's one of the most stressful transitions any of us can ever go through in our life. It's a major developmental change um, for the child, even though a lot of us are very excited about that time. It's very stressful and it's hard to predict what it will look like. And so now's the time to begin working with your son on developing awareness and preparing for that time and setting clear expectations and consequences. Because a lot of times what I see at the college environment, since to your point, Melanie, a lot of our clients are in college when they work with us, although that's not required, but a lot of them are. They come in lacking the skills needed to be resourceful, to have the grit and the academic skills like planning, preparing, organizing, because they didn't need them. So the video gaming essentially gets in the way of them accessing those resources away from the screen and going out in the world and finding them on campus. So I want the parents to get step in and set more structure and help the child gain awareness around what skills are they missing? Where are the deficit areas? And if we have to reduce gaming time or remove games for a while so they can build those skills, that's really important. And I think it's, if they're not in a sport, I think it's really important for them to have a job. That's right. Because having a job is kind of like going to college. You know, you have a job, you have to go to class, and mm-hmm. you have to manage your body, your your clothes, you have to wash your clothes, and you have to do all this. Of course, we have our kids in the fifth grade, they're washing their clothes by the time they're in the fifth grade here. I finally learned that that if your hands work, your, your kids' <laughs> hands work, they can certainly run, you know, if they can do the game controller, they can certainly run the washing machine, right? I think one thing for kids when they go to college is, and, and you know this, but one of the biggest blows is the amount of extra time that they have. That's right. Right? They may have a class that only meets three times a week or whatever. And their, their schedule, they could have a class where on Tuesday they're done by 10. Uh-huh. And so then they're, they're, they just have tons of extra time. So you can look at what your kids are doing now in high school when they're seniors. What do they do with their extra time? And you can multiply that times 10, and that's what they're going to do in college. It, uh-huh. It's pretty much they're not going to become different people when they go. So do you ever recommend that kids just take a gap year if they're not, ready or are you more of a proponent of getting them ready and trying to get them there? Yeah, I don't want to force a square peg into a round hole. Mm -hmm. And so there are uh, young uh, adults, older teens who need a gap year to develop um, emotionally, but it's so important that the gap year is structured and that it has real life experience. So I'll see kids go to gap years where they travel all over the world and have these amazing experiences, but then they don't know how to translate all the skills they learned into mundane life back home at the college level. So I'll talk to parents about any gap year you 
want to put into place, make sure there's relevance there to the academic learning environment if that's what you want. And so gap years are amazing as long as they're structured and there's relevance. You know, for the kids who are ready, but there might be some challenges, it's starting junior year, if not earlier, as a parent, being really conscious of those two years to develop them and help fill in the gap areas that we were talking about earlier. If that means pairing them with an executive function coach so they can learn those skills from somebody other than you as a parent, because kids don't want to really learn much from you at that age, or um, they like to your point, Melanie, working a part-time job is the closest to any college in, in experience, right? There's so much relevance there. You can transfer all those skills into college. And I see so much success when our kids get a part-time job, get away from the games, and they develop those three important psychological needs, competence, relatedness, and autonomy. And it, it, it takes them far. Yes. And it all is centered around how they're spending their time. Mm-hmm. It's all about time management. And this is the problem if you can't plan ahead and set goals. And even if it's just, hey, I'm going to have a goal to go out twice this week with my friends. That's a goal. You're planning ahead. You know, it's all about how to manage that time. And mm-hmm. I know how we all we all know that when we get on our screens, the time just kind of I don't know, it goes into some weird vortex and we can't figure out what happened to it. So we all have to be more mindful about how we manage our time. Well, then the final question here, gosh, our time has really flown by, is what do you say to the family who has maybe a 24-year-old who's now tried three times to go to college, but they are still big gamers and they're back at home on your sofa? Yeah, I would say that what where we see the most success with this type of situation is for the family to get involved with somebody who understands this issue, whether it's a coach or a therapist, who can help you develop a plan. And we call them family agreements, which are, you know, well known. We have a particular approach to them ourselves. And it's important that the young adult has skin in the game and that they get to help develop what they want their life to look like. And it helps pull their head out of the game and bring them back into awareness of, is this really how you want to live your life? And none of them say they do. They all want more. They want to move out. But gaming is, like you said, Melanie, it warps time and they lose time. And next thing you know, years of their life have passed and they regret it when they look back on it. So it's our job as parents to help them pull out of that. So Those expectations and consequences are critical even for a 24-year-old because chances are developmentally and emotionally, he's not where he needs to be yet and he needs more parenting. Yeah, We have to do it in a way that it's parenting an adult child, not a child child. And it's it's different approach. So we have to really meet them where they are and we call it autonomy supportive. And the other piece, and we've mentioned this a couple times, is requiring that he gets employed. And parents, whether you know it or not, you have control over the home. You have control over Wi-Fi. You have control over technology. And it's really scary to think about um, going head to head on that. But there's ways to do it where it doesn't have to turn into this big blowout. Mm-hmm. And, and the gradual approach to change will see the most success. So the young adult knowing in advance, for example, so in 30 days, you need to be employed. And if you're not, the internet's being turned off or 
this is going to happen or this is going to happen. And as long as that young adult knows in advance, we see better success with outcome. But here's the kicker. If they're fully immersed in their games and they're not talking to a therapist, they're not talking to a coach or a mentor about this, you're not going to see change happen because that is not going to allow them to have the awareness that you want them to have to make change. So that's a really important point I want to make. Well, and if you have had a really good relationship with your kids through these growing up years, then it's easier, even if you get derailed a little bit, it's easier to to get back on track, but it's, it is very hard as from a parent's perspective, because you're looking at this child as an adult, but they're stuck potentially in this state of immaturity. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe they were in ninth grade or 10th grade when they started getting really dependent on their games. Mm -hmm. You have to go back to that Mm -hmm. point in time. And it's really frustrating for parents. So I definitely, also just totally agree with you and recommend that parents also need to get some support from some Mm like-minded parents. Mm -hmm. And that's what we provide a lot of that just on our Facebook group and all. We have a lot of parents on our face on the Screen Strong Families Facebook group that come on and say, I have a 17 year old and this is what I'm trying to do. And it's just really important because otherwise you start thinking that you're crazy (laughs) a little bit or that you're expecting way too much but I know even just talking through this with parents and saying just what you said about that, that I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up, that they have to get a job. You know, you have to kind of knock some sense into people sometimes. They're like, oh, yeah, you're right. He's 22. He, if he's not going to college, he needs a job. He can't. I'm not That's just right. going to do dinner for him every night. Uh-huh. Those are all just really good points to make. But it is tough. And I will say that if your kids are younger, listen to this podcast a couple times <laughs> because you either will pay now or you'll pay later. That's mm-hmm. typically how life works. Mm-hmm. Um, not that everybody's going to get derailed, but it's super easy to get derailed. And in our day and age, you know, I mean, Tracy, you know, Richard Freed and mm-hmm. all the work that he's doing with the persuasive yeah. design yeah. pieces to this. We can't fight that battle. We can't keep up as easy as or as fast as we need to. That's right. Yeah, that's that's a really important point. And I, you know, I'm just I'm really excited, Melanie, that you have this challenge that you're offering families. And I myself have seen amazing shifts in kids and young adults and parents when they've taken a week away from screens. It's pretty incredible. It's just a blip, you know, because you know that it has to be a couple months, mm-hmm. you know, yep. but but just to get a taste of it is helpful. It's just like, oh, wait a minute. I, we didn't play video games for a whole week and we lived and we actually had our friends over and we had fun and, and parents end up spending more time with their kids. So Tracy, we've got to wrap up. Can you just think of any final encouraging words for the parents that are listening today? Well, I just want to reiterate that Melanie is offering a wonderful opportunity to engage with this challenge. And even if you you try it and you only have a couple days of success, that is creating this amazing awareness and you're well on your way to doing things differently. This never goes well the first time. It's really challenging. It's really difficult. And I want to say to all the parents who are listening to your podcast that um, fatigue is a real factor. 
And Hmm. your self-care matters the most from my point of view, that for these changes to happen, your job is to take care of yourself first and foremost. And I know that might sound crazy because you may not have a lot of time. You may right now be a teacher, a tutor, a mental health counselor, a chef, because if your kids are learning mostly at home online right now and they haven't (laughs) gone back to school, you've taken on every role that we can think of under the sun and fatigue is high. And so what I notice is when the parents' fatigue is high, we often don't see a really great outcome as far as a screen time limits because it's really difficult and you do need a break. So I just want to say that that's um, an important area to consider and, and to know that you matter in this process as well. Tracy, thank you so much. Oh my goodness. I wasn't even thinking about me <laughs> <laughs> and about how tired I am. <laughs> so thank you so much for that. That's a really, really good point. And I, I do think that managing screen time is extremely fatiguing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if everybody just wants to put a pause on that for a while, we can all take a deep breath and kind of reset and um, regroup, as we like to say in our home. We like to regroup. We're regrouping. We're not doing that right now. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tracy, again, for all of your help. There's been so much information here. We've learned so much. I hope that you've all enjoyed listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends. And head over to our website to donate and learn more about our Screen Strong Challenge. Also make sure to join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group where you'll find support. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong.